from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast, where we talk all things Auburn athletics. I am Auburn Undercover, and I'm joined by Brandon Marcello and Philip Marshall. We've got a lot to talk about because of this incredible and historic run by the Auburn Tigers basketball program. Uh, but before we get into what they just accomplished, we've got to address the big news that came out Tuesday afternoon, and that is that Auburn's sensational junior point guard, Jared Harper, has announced his intention to sign with an agent and go pro. Uh, Brandon, you have covered him uh, for a few seasons now. What do you think of this decision? Uh, Not totally unexpected. As we told our subscribers, uh, I think actually the night of the Final Four game, maybe the day after, Anthony McLemore kind of let it slip in the locker room that Jared was leaving. And he tried to backtrack it, but he smiled and he knew what he did. But um, not too surprising. I think Jared did everything he could. Nothing was going to change between this huge run he made in the postseason to whatever he did next season, even if he won a national championship next season. He's still his height. He's not six foot and all that. And that's going to be a, you know, everybody's going to degrade him for that and everything. But the guy is super quick. He's super fast. He's got high basketball IQ. He made that team run. And he's a huge, huge, huge reason why they did what they did this season. He's in in all kinds of uh, statistical um, uh, columns in the history books at Auburn and in the SEC. He's one of only, I think, what was it, five players in SEC history to have 1,400 points, 500 assists, and 200 three-pointers in a career. And he did that through his junior season. Um, Incredible player. And, Philip, I'm sure you can provide much better context with this because I have a very brief glimpse of uh, basketball history at Auburn. But he's got to be one of the best to ever come through here at the point guard position. Well, I would say I would say him and Doc Robinson, and I, I, that's I don't know that I could go any further than that. I mean, they've had a lot of good ones. Uh, Wes Flanagan, who is now an assistant coach, was an All SEC point guard, <laughs> which Jared never was, amazingly. Uh, uh, and they've had some good ones, but those two uh, stand alone to me. And I and I believe, as as highly as I think of Doc Robinson or and thought of him as a player, I think that. Uh, Jared, from the standpoint of the things you just mentioned, uh, being able to do all those things, and he made he made play he made the other players on the floor better. And uh, Sonny Smith told me he said one of the things about Jared is he said when he makes a pass, he doesn't just make a pass; he puts it right where it needs to be every time, basically every time. And uh, uh, it was uh, it says a lot for him in a strange sort of way that. I mean, I was absolutely flabbergasted when he missed the free throw because it never crossed my mind he was going to miss it. I know, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, he is uh, he is a great basketball player. And, you know, and I'm no NBA talent scout, but uh, but 
there have been players like him in the NBA before. And I'm guessing that he just had made up his mind that it was time to go. And uh, I, I wasn't surprised at all that he declared. I was a little bit surprised that he said he was hired an agent. I thought he might he, he might go through the process again, but he did that last year. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways, a lot of places to make money playing basketball besides the NBA if he doesn't make it there. And so uh, he certainly did his part for Auburn. And I, I you know, I think every Auburn person ought, ought to wish him the best because. He, as you said, certainly not alone, but but he was a huge, huge part of, of the astonishing things this team did. Really, the last two years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at it at, with him as the point guard. They've won an SEC championship regular season. They won an SEC tournament. They've been to the first two NCAA tournaments in it was fifteen years at the time, and they've been to the Final Four and been within literally a fraction of a second of playing in the championship game. Uh, uh, he's, you know, as part of college basketball, if you're going to have a program, you got to replace great players, but he will not be easy to replace. I think a lot of Javon McCormick, I think he'll be a very good player if he's the point guard, but he's not Jared Harper. Yeah, he's not Jared Harper. He's, he's uh, Javon, he's not going to be able to hit as many three-pointers as Jared. He's not as fast as Jared, but he's pretty fast. He could drive the basket. We know that and hit shots. But I just don't know about Javon as the type of passer Jared was and getting right. guys open. Jared just had a, an incredible knack um, for finding one, the open man, and making the right pass at the right time. There might be two guys open, but he always hit the right guy, it seemed like. He just had an right. incredible um, just feeling for what to do on the basketball court. And in a lot of ways, and his his legacy here at Auburn will be tied directly to Bryce Brown, and Bryce Brown's legacy will be tied to Jared Harper. They're a fantastic duo, and you just kind of knew with Bryce Brown's career coming to end as a senior that Jared was right. probably going to be on his way out too because th- those two were were connected together. They will forever be connected together, and I think they realize that it probably wasn't going to get much better than this than having the both of them on the court at the same time. And it's time to strike while the iron's hot and go try and go to the NBA. Right. I agree. Well, guys, you know, when you think of Jared Harper, you think of a guy that really had to clutch Gene. So many big shots he hit down the stretch. Uh, and also, you know, aside from that final free throw against Virginia was really money at the foul line over 82% the last two seasons. As a whole, 213 three-pointers at Auburn. 98 this past season. His previous high was 61. 1,427 points. Bryce Brown, over 1,600 points. Guys, together, those two guys have scored 3,100 points combined in an Auburn jersey. So a lot to replace there. Um, you know. I think, I think one thing, the, the one Bryce Harper, excuse me, the one uh, Jared Harper play I remember is He's standing there dribbling the ball about 35 feet away in the SEC tournament against Florida. And he says, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to shoot it. <laughs> and, 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 and knocks down the three-pointer that, that, that basically put him at, at the state. And, uh, that was incredible he, he, because he, he said after the game, so I was just there dribbling it, waiting for the guy to get up on me, and he never did. And, and I just said, well, I'm going to shoot it. Because <laughs> he said, he said if, if, he get, if he said if he got up on him, at any point, he was going to drive past him, go go to the basket. And if he didn't, he was going to spot up and shoot right where he was. He didn't care where he was on the floor. Uh, that's incredible. Just been absolutely <laughs> amazing to watch the evolution of 
how teams have utilized the three-point line from in the 80s just trying to figure out what to do what it meant you know how do we how do we go outside how do we go inside how many times a game do we want to shoot these three-pointers to then it becoming a huge part of an offense at, at various schools Kentucky's big teams of course you know shot the lights out and now you have guys literally shooting 35 footers which used to be You'd see Jeff Malone of Mississippi State later with the uh, the Washington Capitals do it uh, to win a game. You know, that was a final shot. That was not a part of the offense. So it's been interesting to watch basketball change. But, guys, this run, unbelievable. 30 wins, 10 losses. First 30-win season in Auburn basketball history. First Final Four in Auburn basketball history. 12-0 and 0 at one point before the loss. A 12-game winning streak before the loss to Virginia, which obviously easily could have gone in the other direction uh, but let's talk about that Virginia game now uh, you know like we know it came down to those final gut-wrenching seconds for Auburn and Auburn fans uh, but it was really a heck of a game by Auburn it was an unbelievable you know you forget about this an unbelievable and almost historic like comeback that Virginia thwarted at the very end there so it was just a, a, a game where both teams really had hots and cold streaks, but at the end, it looked like Auburn had all the momentum and just couldn't hang on. But uh, just what are some of your general takeaways, Philip, from that game? And then we'll go to you, Brandon. Uh, you know, the, 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 the last five minutes was amazing, as you said. I, I was sitting there, and I told, told the, per, the reporter sitting beside me, I said, well, if they score, talking about Virginia, I said, if they score another basket, I'm going to go ahead and load up and watch the rest of it in the, in, in the media room because this, this is about over. And then literally about two minutes later, I looked at him and I said, Auburn's about to win this game. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, I mean, they scored 14 straight points. They should have won. I you know I'll say this and I don't want to keep harping on it. Uh, I, I understand the, what people say that the foul at the end could be called a foul, but I will go to my grave saying that nine, nine out of 10 officials would not have called it a foul because it had nothing to do with the shot. Uh, but then, of course, even worse is the double dribble, which you have two officials standing there looking at it, and uh, and they don't call it. So that was really bad. I mean, for Auburn, it was great for Virginia, and I and I'm not saying Virginia owes anybody an apology. And then, you know, they blew another lead last night. They were up eight with five minutes last night, and and uh, and, and uh, Texas Tech caught up. So, uh, but but uh, they won it. They're the national champion. But uh, Auburn. As devastating as that was for Auburn players, and anybody that's been around them knows how devastating it was. Uh, it was uh, probably the most devastating loss I've ever witnessed, to be honest with you, in any sport, even more so than the 2013 BCS championship game. But uh, uh, but for Auburn to have done what they did, to go, they had their scuffles during the during the middle of the SEC season, and to suddenly just take off and beat Tennessee at home. Win the SEC tournament by beating Tennessee by 20. I mean, they completely messed up Tennessee's season, and uh, and then beat beat uh, uh, Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky back to back to back, and without without the last Kentucky without Shuma Okiki, and uh, and I will say this, in my opinion, and you never will never know, but I'm not if if Chuma Okiki doesn't get hurt. I'm not sure Auburn's ever seriously tested in this tournament. I think they might have run right through it. I agree with that. In fact, they were hitting their stride when Chumo Kiki was hitting their stride, and they were blowing everybody out. Yep. Blew out Kansas, blew out North Carolina. It was a really, really, really good team. Yep. 
they would have beaten Kentucky, obviously, with Chuma out there. They would have beaten Virginia, and they would have beaten Texas Tech in the national championship game. And having said that, if the refs caught that note, note that double dribble, or if right. they did not blow the whistle on that three pointer, Auburn wins that game, obviously. And I think they beat Texas Tech Monday night in the national championship game, still even without Chuma. I think the way they were playing with Bryce Brown doing what he does, that that was everything for Auburn in that Virginia game. I mean, when he hit, I can't remember if it was a second or third three-pointer he hit where he missed it, and then yeah. Samir got the rebound, kicked it back out to Jared, and then Bryce just got off the ground, spotted back up, and shot it again and hit it. I, I I turned to the reporter next to me, Sam Blum of AL.com, and I said, rewrite your story right now because they just won this game. They're winning this game. Um, and then, as we know, everything that happened in the last two seconds was just disgusting, in my opinion. I, I just I hate it when referees end games, any game. I hate it. It's dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, Look, it just here's the thing. Uh, it, it, Bryce Brown's when Bryce fouled the three point shooter against New Mexico State, that has to be called. He ran into him. Certainly, I mean, and that, but that's not what happened here. And he had no no impact on the shot. He was just playing defense. And, and uh, I think the I, only reason why they called that foul, Philip, was because and credit to Kyle Guy for doing it. He kicked his leg out. Yep. And that was enough for the ref to see the proportions of the body and the verticality and all that stuff. When he kicked it out, it made it look like it affected him a l- more than it did, and that was enough to blow the whistle to end in the ref's size. That guy's a great player and a smart player. There's very, no very. He's a very good player, and he's a very, very smart player. And yep. I, I, Like I, I said, he owes, he owes nobody an apology. I'm no, he doesn't. And, and, and Kyle Guy and, and even Ty Jerome on the uh, double dribbles, like, yeah, I double dribbled. I mean, these guys know, and, yep. and they're not hiding from it. But listen, you know, uh, it goes both ways. Players know that. It happened to Auburn against Florida, remember? Yeah. When they were trying to foul the guy at midcourt and they wouldn't blow the whistle, and then he shoots the shot and Auburn's fouling him still, and they still didn't blow the whistle. Um, and Florida fans were by, beside themselves, and even the Auburn guys were like, well, I mean, we were yeah. trying to foul before and they didn't blow it, so whatever. It's just, um, you know, that. It happens, but for it to happen, for it to decide that. Oh, know, I know, I know, I know. That's, that's just, that's, it's you know, ridiculous. It's just. It was just. I saw. Uh, I saw where someone, by the way, post. I guess there's like rankings of officials based off of. I don't know how they do it. Um, someone much smarter than me, but I saw where the officials for that game were ranked number one and number two in the nation, and the guy who did not call the uh, dr- double dribble and then I guess later the uh, foul on the three pointer, he was the lowest rated official at number thirty three, um, uh, in the nation. Whatever. Whatever that means. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, but also, and we've talked about this and written about this plenty, Philip, but that that locker room after the game. Unbelievable. And unbelievable grace, unbelievable um, uh, just handling of the situation. And a lot of that goes back to Coach Pearl and the way he handled it in the locker room with those kids after the game and how they just kind of echoed their coach. And, uh, I mean, Samir Dowdy was standing there six, seven deep of reporters, and he was asking people, like, anybody have a question? Samir Dowdy did himself and his family and everybody else proud of the way he handled that after the game. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain 
at his age, I wouldn't have been able to handle it like that. Oh, I would have walked out. <laughs> I, I would not have been able to handle that. <laughs> no. And, uh, uh, but, uh, it, that, and I think the players as a whole, I thought Bryce was kind of fighting it. I thought Bryce wanted yeah. to say more. <laughs> and he was probably thinking, Hey, I'm a senior. I'd say whatever I want to say. They yeah. Anything to me. Well, he, he did but, say he did say more outside the locker room. It's caught on tape right after the game where he said that the NCAA needs to get new refs. And I I saw it and I thought of it more as because he was walking next next to Samir and him and Samir by the way are roommates, um, yeah. real close guy friends. And Samir was very down as you would expect. And Bryce was staying next to him. And then when Bryce saw the cameras, that's when Bryce said that. And I think he was doing that to get the attention off Samir. Yeah. And and to support his teammate at the time, and then if you watch near the end of the video, Samir's like reaching out to Bryce, like you don't have to say that, man, don't do that. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. Bryce is like, I'm a senior, I'll say what I want. But Bryce was really the only person in that locker room who said anything of the ilk, questioning the uh, officials. Um, and he even did it when he calmed down and sat down. He just said, "Yeah, I just don't think that was a foul, but you know, that goes both ways." Blah blah. You didn't hear anybody just saying. You know, right. but he said at the, he said at the at the in the main press conference room, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. he didn't believe it. That he didn't believe it was right. a foul, right? And and the and the Virginia point guard said he couldn't believe it, like, right, right. Which I found kind of interesting. I, 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 it was really weird to me because I'm watching it and where I was was like in the way it was a long way away and uh, the space uh, station, yeah. And, and I, I thought that. Uh, I saw him make the shot, and I, 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 you know where the Auburn fans were. I was right behind them. I could okay, yeah. See over them, I could hardly see over them, and I and I saw him miss the shot, and I, I said, "That's it, Auburn wins." And then I looked out there, and it was like nothing was happening. And uh, yeah, and then I saw I saw Austin Wiley just standing there looking aghast, mm-hmm. and, and I said, "Did he blow the whistle?" And sure enough, he did. Yeah, yeah I, think I, I knew. I knew I knew he would make all three free throws. There was oh, no yeah. He's the best free throw shooter in the country, man. Right. And, uh, yeah, I saw Macklemore's reaction, and I I remember turning to someone, and it's not safe for radio, radio and, I, and I said, you've got to be blanking kidding yeah. me. Um, are they really going to let Virginia win the game like that? Because, I, like you, like you Kyle, it was Kyle Guy, and I went, he's going to hit all three of these. It's over. There's no way they win this, so. Anyway, it was it was a heartbreaker of all heartbreakers, and oh, man. Um, yeah. But the post game scene in the locker room, I I was completely taken aback because I couldn't believe how poised those players were in that moment. I I, and that's what's made this team so special. That's why they won right. so many games. I, I've been saying it for the longest yeah. time covering this team here in the postseason. They're just so damn close and so damn yeah. happy to be around each other and supportive it, it was an amazing thing to see and that's why uh, coupled with the coaching of bruce pearl and the leadership of bruce pearl they they handled that situation so so tremendously well yeah you know i think Auburn's going to be good for, for a good while here they're going to be good but it is so hard to get to the final four i mean it is really really hard i don't care who you are and you can't replicate you can't just automatically replicate what you're talking about 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 what went on with that team inside that team and, and how much they cared for each other and, and supported each other. That has to come from within. And and it started, I, I think as much as anybody with the point guard and, uh, who's leaving. So, uh, 
that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, they may have more. They'll have teams with more pure talent than this one. Well, guys, a couple of, uh, a couple get, of things. Getting that together again is going to be hard. Yeah, a couple of things here. You mentioned that the even the Virginia players uh, was surprised that they made that call. I guess if you're playing Duke in North Carolina a couple times a year, you're probably not used to getting those calls, quite frankly. Uh, but, you know, one of the great ironies of that game was that uh, uh, Auburn's leading scorer was Samir Dowdy. And, in fact, when Auburn could get zero penetration earlier in the game, it was Samir who really was one of the first guys that was able to penetrate that ferocious defense and get sort of, you know, get in the paint and create things. And uh, he finished with 13 points, four 10 shooting, two or five from three point range, three or four from the foul line, five rebounds, uh, just an all around outstanding game for him. Uh, you know, I know that's a tough call. And I think both of you think Auburn would have won that championship game should they, had they reached it against Texas Tech. What makes you think that? What in your mind, Brandon, what what in your eyes would have given Auburn an edge against a very good Texas Tech team? They just found a way, even when you looked on paper that they were mismatched to win games. I mean, listen, they played Virginia style on offense, and they did a better job against them than Virginia did against Auburn. Um, they played a Kentucky team that had the bigger players, the better players, and they did it without Chumo Kiki for Auburn and found a way to beat them in overtime because Jared Harper put the team on his back and scored 12 points in overtime. This team had ways of finding scoring in different spots. You mentioned Samir Doughty. He's not a scoring machine, but they had to lean on him against Virginia to get the ball to the hoop sometimes and score. Jared Harper had an off night scoring uh, against Virginia, but Bryce Brown, who wasn't shooting well earlier in the game, hit those shots late. It's just that you can never count them out. I mean, they trailed by double digits against Kentucky and against Virginia, and they came back in both and led in the final seconds um, and lost one of them. And I think if they had played Texas Tech, I think they would have beaten them too. And uh, just because you talk about teams of destiny and all that stuff, I just think the team had come together in such a way that they knew where to go in certain moments because of their leadership, because of their veteran guys, they would have beaten Texas Tech. I agree. I agree. I, you know, I was because I've been impressed with Texas Tech throughout this tournament, but watching them play Virginia uh, on Monday night, that was my thought. I said Auburn would have Auburn would have found a way to beat that team, and especially since their big guy was about was not near full speed, he turned his ankle against Michigan State. And uh uh yeah, I we'll never know, obviously. Uh but I think Auburn would have hit enough I think Auburn would have hit enough shots to beat them. And uh I think they would have hit a lot of three point I mean Virginia hit what, ten three pointers against uh Texas Tech? I you know, I, I that's, that's one thing and I wrote about this. You know, I've heard so much about Texas Tech's defense and Virginia's defense. I think Auburn was was every bit as good. Every bit is good in this tournament. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, let's move on. Let's just, you know, the perspective here that we've, we've talked about the game, what it meant to this season. But where is the program? And I didn't mean to cut you off there, Brandon. But where, where is the program right now? I mean, coming off an SEC championship a year ago, SEC tournament championship this season, Unbelievable run through the NCAA tournament to get to the Final Four, near miss in the NCAA semifinals. But uh, despite the fact there's a lot of good players coming in in this 2019 recruiting class, you are going to lose some talent. Uh, you know, again, 3,100 points between career points between uh, uh, Bryce Brown and Jared Harper, Horace Spencer. So you're going to lose some pieces. You know, it remains to be seen who else could leave. You never know. There's always uh, within a program some type of attrition. Things happen out of the blue. Uh, but again, a, a good foundation coming back. We don't know what Chuma Kiki's future holds, but a good foundation coming back. Some really good players coming in. A coach now that's been to his first Final Four um, and has built this thing from the ground, literally from the ground up, maybe below ground. Quite frankly, from the basement up, uh, yeah. he's built this thing. Uh, Auburn appears to be in in a very good spot right now. But again, as you said, Philip, replicating this won't be easy. But as you all see it, we'll start with you, Brandon. Where do things sit with the Auburn basketball program right now as we move forward? Oh, I I think, you know, if you just look at it on paper and what they've got coming in, it's stronger than ever. I mean, they've got a top 18 class coming in. They're going to do gangbusters on the recruiting trail for 2020, in my opinion, just based off of this season yeah. and how early they got in on some of these other guys. Um, the thing they've got to look at now with Jared leaving is the potential of bringing in a – uh, a, a transfer of some sort, maybe at the point guard spot. Otherwise, they're going to lean on Javon McCormick and a freshman there. Um, and it's not a knock on McCormick or anything like that. But if there's a better player out there, they're they're going to try and go get them on the and transfer market. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're in an incredible spot right now. And as Phillips mentioned, listen, they will probably have a more talented team on this campus in two or three years. But it might not make the Final Four because it is so difficult to get there. It's unbelievably difficult. Just go ask some of the Blue Blood programs. Ask Duke how tough it is to get to the Final Four. Um, and, that's, and, and the thing about that is, if I can interrupt you, Brandon, Duke is, is like automatically in the Sweet 16 every year because of where they're seated. Right. And if you're seated one or two, getting to the Sweet 16 is no great accomplishment. And they've still only done it twice in 15 years. My apologies for interrupting. No, no, you're exactly, that's exactly uh, right. Um, you're, you're really, I mean, it's just, it's so difficult. I mean, look at Gonzaga. Everybody keeps waiting for them to get over the hump and get to the national championship game and win. That hasn't happened. And they've been, goodness gracious, they've had some amazing recruiting classes. In fact, I think they've got like the number five recruiting class coming in this uh, this year. Um, and yet they haven't been there. And to be honest, they're playing a weaker schedule, and then they're fresher when they get into the tournament than a lot of teams. Um, but it, it's just difficult. And, and you look at the SEC right now with all the coaches they've had and First. all and the amazing recruiting job that these programs have done over the last four to five years. 
um, it's going to be incredibly difficult, one, to contend for an SEC title, and then two, you know, getting that top three, top four seeding come into late tournament time just because the the conference is going to be so difficult this this upcoming season and beyond. There are some amazing coaches uh, in this league. It's amazing where this league seems to be headed. And uh, I'm in full agreement with you about where Auburn's program is headed as far as next season goes. You know, you know, there's always this, and you always got people to replace. But if Austin Wiley keeps progressing, like assuming he comes back, uh, keeps prog- keeps progressing uh, like he did down the stretch of the season, if you know, Anthony Mclemore, I thought was a real key to the NCAA tournament after having a terrible, terrible SEC tournament, and uh, and you know, he was kind of the straw that straw that stirred the drink last season when they won the, before he got hurt. So, uh, and I, I, Samir Dowdy, I think uh, there's another guy that came a long way over the course of this season. And, uh, and is the kind of guy that can hold people together and pull people together. So I think they, uh, I think they have a chance to be really good again. This good. It'll be hard without Jared Harper, but, but then again, who knows? Uh, uh, but I don't, don't believe you, you just go plug in somebody to take Jared Harper's place. Or Bryce Brown, for that matter. There are other shooters. Somebody else will shoot. Will make a bunch of three pointers next year instead of Bryce Brown. But to do, to he does what I admire most about athletes. When the game's on the line, when it matters the most, that's when he's the best. Just like just like his last game, uh, when when they were ten points behind, and all of a sudden he he was he was knocking them in, and and in no time they'd gone from ten points behind to four points ahead. So. But I, I think Bruce Pearl is good, has built a solid program, and Auburn's going to be good. But people just got to remember it's not football, and you can't say, okay, we, we almost got there this year, so that means we should get there next year, and we should be going to the Final Four every year. It doesn't work that way. Philip, you make a great point uh, about Bryce Brown hitting those clutch shots. So I ask you both, when you look at the roster for next year, obviously there's some young guys coming in. You never know. Some of these guys just have it. Philip, you've mentioned before that high school quarterbacks are more prepared, better prepared now than ever to contribute early uh, on Saturdays. And I think you could, the same is applicable to college basketball. These kids, no are playing, they're playing year round. They're playing against the best of the best. They're playing around the globe. I mean, so they're ready. But who is the guy? Who is the one or two guys coming back that's going to be that alpha male that's going to want the ball and take that shot? Because you're losing the two guys that, that really were, were that for the course of the season. That's a good question. That has to be developed over time. I mean, I think Samir Dowdy is one for sure. And, uh, and you know, McCormick, who knows? I, I, he's got a lot going for him. Uh, and he can shoot it. Uh, can he shoot it like Bryce Brown? Probably not. But, but, uh, but you know, players get better. You know, they have, they're going to have young guys playing. That's part of college basketball too. But uh, I, I think next year you, you will probably see – a lot more of Austin, assuming everybody's back and everybody's healthy, you'll see a lot more of Austin Wiley and uh, and Anthony McMore as, as far as being the focus of, of who gets the ball that, than you have the last couple of years. Yeah, especially because um, the guards that they're going to have next year, including the newcomers, most of them are they're known as slashers. They're not known right. as uh, spot-up shooters or jump shooters or anything like that. So... They will. They will have to because it's all. It's Bruce Pearl's system that they always do this. He will develop someone who will be the shooter. Who it's going to be, I don't know. Um, 
But they're going to be a team, at least on paper, as you look at it right now, with Isaac Okoro coming in, Turbo Jones, Tyrell Jones, who is incredibly quick and is going to draw comparisons, by the way, to Jared Harper. But he's more of a slasher than a jump shooter like Jared Harper could be. Jared Harper could do a little bit of everything. But th- this team on paper next season is going to be more of a team that slashes and gets in the paint, draws some fouls, and then as a result, they're going to be able to help that front court a little bit with Anthony McLemore. And as you mentioned, if Austin Wiley returns, which we expect, they're going to look a little bit different. Their offense is going to look a little bit different. But the key for them is going to be who is going to be their spot-up shooter. And I think that's just something they're going to have to develop in the offseason and in the summer and in those first couple of weeks of, of preseason practices. Because, um, you know, listen, Bruce Pearl gives a green light to everybody. Yes, but – he likes to – he narrows it down to two guys, really, you know, every year and everywhere he goes. And I don't know if he'll – even on paper he could say this is the guy or this is the guy. It's going to have to happen naturally here in the off season. I agree. All right, guys. Well, you know, are we entering a new phase, a new a new golden age of SEC basketball? I mean, there's been great runs before. There was a lot of talent in the 70s, but – you know, only one team made the NCAA tournament, and that was usually Kentucky. I guess Alabama made it a few times. In the 80s, only four teams, only four programs made the Final Four in the SEC, and actually Kentucky was not the leader. Philip, you remember this. LSU made it twice in the 80s with two yep. for Dell Brown teams. Kentucky had one Final Four appearance, one for Georgia. You know, Brandon, you know, Philip and I grew up in this – southern area you were out in arkansas when you know arkansas wasn't in the sec the 1980s had so much talent in the sec but again even georgia which made the final four went a year after dominique wilkins played his last game Uh, that talent didn't turn into championships no ncaa championships there's been other runs in the 90s both arkansas after they joined the sec and and kentucky had great runs then in the 2000s florida's back-to-back teams the last sec team to win a championship was Kentucky in 2012, but as you both have mentioned, this this rush of big name coaches and, and just true basketball guys to the league have kind of changed the dynamic. Rick Barnes staying at Tennessee when he had a chance to go to UCLA—that's almost an unheard of thought a few years yeah. ago. Uh, Buzz Williams to Virginia Tech. Uh, Alabama's got themselves a, a, a hot shot young coach coming in. Uh, there's uh, you know, Mike White at Florida, probably on the hot seat next year. He's got to do some stuff, but there's a lot of talent. Don't even mention Frank Martin. Imagine what he could do if he was in a school. That, that dude's was, an amazing coach, Frank Martin. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So he just looks so mad, though. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, I love him. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be hard, and yet Bruce Pearl, his great success at Tennessee, uh, he was right there with Florida. I mean, he was beating Florida. Yep. Those Florida teams that won national titles, he was going toe to toe with them and beating them. Those were so. Not to interrupt you, but that yeah, that that time in the SEC when it was Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky was kind of down, but still punching a little bit. That was a lot of fun because you had Pearl, this energetic coach, going against this, you know, the the fresh faced young boy, but he wasn't really young, and and Billy Donovan and his amazing energetic and just had, had so much personality with those teams at Florida. And uh, th- those games were so much fun to watch. Now, I- I'll say this. I- I'm not trying to derail the conversation. But with the way the SEC looks right now with the coaching talent and the talent that's coming in, tell me if I'm completely wrong here, and I probably am. Does this any- remind anybody else, and I wasn't really alive during this time, but I've seen documentaries. 
<laughs> but does this remind anybody of like the Big East when it was starting to really take off? Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I can remember all that stuff. I can remember when there was no Big East. So, uh, yeah, I think it does uh, in, in some ways. I mean, the thing about the Big East, it was in all these big markets and playing in Madison Square Garden and all the glitz and glamour and all that stuff. And uh, But this, this league right now, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's a mixed – it's a mixed bag because, you know, you beat each other up, and that's what I'm sure is going to happen. And uh, over time, and the 1980s is the, is the most talent I, I I have covered in the SEC, I believe. Uh, the 70s was a lot, but the 80s, I mean, Barkley and and Chuck Person and all those LSU guys and and uh, Kentucky and Buck Johnson and Mew King and Alabama and and uh, uh, all those kinds of players, and it was it was it was brutal. It was, but it's what's interesting to me is that all the great players, all the five star signees, all the all the players that got people got excited about recruiting. None of them were in Minneapolis. Yep. And uh, uh, and you go back to the eighties again. Auburn went to the Elite Eight the year after Charles Barkley. Not when they had Charles Barkley and Chuck Person and Chris Morris, three first-round draft choices all on the same team. It's incredible. Uh, so uh, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I think I think being old, as, it, as in having veteran players, if they're talented enough, means a lot. Yep. I think it meant a lot, a lot to Auburn this year. Yeah, and just every team in the Final Four this year is veteran veteran teams, uh, right? I want to say Kentucky won in 78, if my memory's right, Jack. That's correct. That's correct. All right, 78. And then the Bruce SEC. Gibbons. Yeah, the SEC didn't win again until when? Was it Arkansas in 94? Was it that much of a – was it a 16-year goal? Was it really that long? I believe so, because in the 80s. Yeah, there was I believe so. I believe so. Kentucky you got to remember, the tournament yeah. The tournament in the 70s, only one team went. One team went to the NCAA tournament. One team went to the NIT. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, in 1974, when Bob Davis was the see how old I am, Brenda, when Bob Davis was the coach at Auburn, they were 18 and eight, beat everybody in the league at home, and uh, and they d- couldn't go to the NCAA tournament because they didn't win the league. And then uh, it was between them and Tennessee to go to the NIT, and uh, the NIT took Tennessee. So. But uh, it was uh, it was very different. Just like John Wooden could never do now what he did then, because there were so a lot fewer teams in the tournament. You didn't have to win six games to win the national championship. Uh, but I think now it, it's 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 uh, <laughs> it's going to be really tough in the SEC. Philip, it's not only. Oh, sorry. And, and and it's just that you know now Auburn has has put a target on its own back. And especially a team on the other side of the state that's going to be interested in trying trying to do something about this, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun over the next few years, I suspect. However, however many more years, I've still got enough enough sense to be able to watch it and know what's going on, which might not be long. Philip, it's not only changed on the court, but the product. But you're seeing these beautiful arenas now crop up, pop up across yep. the SEC. There's no Tad C. Smith Coliseum anymore. 
the, the whole dynamic of, of uh, basketball in the Southeastern Conference has changed. And, and I, I guess, uh, you know, really the 90s really kind of got it going to me. The, the 80s had the superior talent, I think, the superior individual talent. But that Arkansas team that was so phenomenal that came into the league and had Oscar Miller and all those Scotty Thurman and all those great players. Yeah. Then you had that great Kentucky team that won two titles. And if my memory's right, I want to say two titles in three years and, and possibly could have won three in three years. Yeah. Really set things going in the right direction. Then you have the hiring. You know, it's all a timeline. The hiring of Billy Donovan changed the dynamic of the league, and it led to other schools going out and trying to find the young, hot, up-and-comer. Yeah. Now you've got this just explosion, and there are some unbelievable coaches in this league. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys handle being humbled. Uh, a lot of these guys are not used to right. 10 conference records, and it's going uh, to happen. And so that's going to be an interesting well, Yeah, somebody has to lose. There's no question. But, you know, talking about being hard. Billy Donovan won two straight national championships and then the next two years didn't go to the tournament at all. Right. Uh, it's very fine line. Well, and, and look at and look at South Carolina a few years ago. They go to the Final Four and they've been just barely trying to get to 500 every year, every, every year since because yeah. pretty much everybody left. Frank Martin's a heck of a coach. Just look at his SEC record this past season um, compared to his overall record. But... You know, that's going to be the big question everybody's going to have about Auburn is, is this a fluke? Did this team yeah. go to the Final Four because it was a fluke? And when they see all these, you know, the seniors that are left and now Jared Harper, this next season is going to be, you know, it's going to be a bit of a rebuild, but I don't think it's going to be like a South Carolina because this Auburn team's still going to be loaded with talent. You don't think Frank Martin looks too mean? I think he looks mean, but he all, I mean, he, he, I, you know what I want, Philip? I want Frank Martin and Bruce Pearl when they retire to open up an Italian restaurant together. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I joke about that. I don't know Frank Martin, but people who do tell me he is. He's, he's an amazing human being. He's a great guy. Have you ever seen the, uh, the piece I think ESPN did about the day he almost died? I have. Uh, incredible, and it's cha- it changed his life, and you can tell in the way he treats people. And uh, I I think he's a, you know, he does look mean as you said, but he's a very <laughs> humble and loving man. And him and Bruce yeah. Pearl get along so great, and I think he get, Frank Martin gets along uh, tremendously with a lot of folks. And uh, I mean, listen, if you know, uh, th- there's a reason why he took South Carolina Final Four. There's a reason why he was so successful at Kansas State. I, I, he's a great coach, and he's a great guy, too. I think him and Bruce Pearl were cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. I don't know anything about what, what kind of job Jerry Stackhouse will do at tennis, at Vanderbilt. But it may be great. I just don't know. Well, I was, I was a little surprised. for that, mercy. I was a little surprised UCLA didn't take a look at Frank Martin, to be honest with you. But, but guys, let's – one final thing here, and we'll, we'll get going – a lot of people are wondering and wanting to know right now, is this the peak or is this just the start? We don't know, obviously. But, Philip, uh, you and I both know uh, the school that I went to was destitute in basketball for many, many years. Okay, Not good at all. And uh, since 1994, Florida has now been to five Final Fours. The first year they made it, they didn't know if they'd ever make it. They were shocked. They didn't know, think they'd ever make it back. They've been to five Final Fours, nine Elite Eights just in that 25-year period. Can Auburn be the next team to be one of those teams that, you know, a few years ago nobody was talking about, and then all of a sudden it's a basketball school. It's a basketball program that's one to be reckoned with year in and year out. It happens. There's a lot of one-and-dones. There's a lot of one-and-done programs, I mean, that are there, and then they're gone tomorrow. 
What does Auburn have to do to stay relevant moving forward? They've got the right coach. I think everybody can agree on that. They've got great fan support. Is there anything else? Is there any magic elixir that gets this done? No, I think you just have to recruit recruit the kind of players you need. And Bruce, and Bruce Pearl recognizes as well as anybody that he's not going to go just take on Kentucky and Duke and 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 start taking players away from them. That's not going to happen. But as we have seen in this tournament, it doesn't have to happen. I think my opinion is as long as Bruce Pearl is the coach, Auburn will be in the NCAA tournament most year. Maybe not every year, but most years. And then when you get in, I mean, it depends on the draw. It just depends on the bounce of the ball. I mean, if if, if the kid from New Mexico State had made three free throws, this miraculous, wonderful story would never have happened. It would have just been, well, they got there, then they lost the first game. Uh, then the fans would have been mad about the whole travel and all that stuff, but still. And uh, But I think they'll be, be there most years, and if you're there, there's going to be years that you, you have an opportunity to make a run and years that you don't. I don't see Auburn being a, a program right now in the SEC. I don't see anybody other than Kentucky, uh, really, really only Kentucky. Yeah. Being a, being a program that you say, well, you, you kind of expect them to be in the Elite Eight or the Final Four every year, and, and they haven't been in four years either. And uh, But uh, but they just they recruit – just you know, NBA players. That's what they got. Now, sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. As far as winning championships, but uh, they're going to always have the best players on the floor. Just about. Yeah, I mean, it, it's as simple as as Philip said. If Bruce Pearl's a coach, yes, uh, because he's won everywhere he's been. You know, he was being asked about, yeah, you're taking this team to the Sweet Sixteen for the first time, blah blah, and all this, and he's like, I'm used to it. Um, and he is. He's been to the Sweet 16 or better five times um, in 15 years as a Division One coach. Um, the only times he has not made it to the NCAA tournament were his first three years at Auburn when he had to take over Tony Barbie's uh, meteor strike <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and his first year at Milwaukee. Every, every other year he's made the tournament, including these last two at Auburn. So five sweet 16s during that time 15 years so one one once out of every three years on average he's making the sweet 16 or better um no matter where he's been milwaukee tennessee and now auburn auburn's going to go back to the sweet 16 again at some point and maybe they can go beyond that but here's the thing when you make the second weekend of the tournament anything is possible and right, we and we exactly. saw it this year auburn got out of that first pot against new mexico state and kansas and anything was possible, and Auburn believed it, and they blew out North Carolina, and they took Kentucky to overtime, and all of a sudden you're in the Final Four. So get past that first weekend. Anything's possible. Bruce Pearl has shown it. Bruce Pearl's been consistent with that. And so I think as long as Bruce Pearl's a coach, anything's possible for Auburn basketball. Yeah, what you really want in that second week is to you get that second week and you're playing some 13 seed that upsets somebody in the <laughs> in the first round. But uh, uh, I, but I agree with what Brandon said. I think that uh, that get, getting to the second weekend is a big deal, and and really getting to the second weekend is if you do that, if you're most schools, that might not be a success to Kentucky, but I think it's we're a ways away from that not being a success at Auburn. Uh, if, if you lose, if you get the Sweet Sixteen, you've had you've had a really good year, and 
and and that can't change because of one trip to the final four. That that would be an unrealistic view of it because it's just too hard. Well, guys, that will do it for this edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. There's still a lot going on. The Final Four runs <laughs> over. Unbelievable run, but Auburn's A-Day spring game is this Saturday. Be sure to return to AuburnUndercover.com a lot this week. There's going to be a lot of preview stories. I'm putting you on the spot, Brandon. You're going to be writing a lot. So a lot of stuff going on this week. <laughs> a lot of recruits coming in. Could be a commitment or two this weekend. I think it's very realistic, if not possible. So it's a big week. Stay tuned for more at AuburnUndercover.com. I'm Keith Niebuhr. For Brandon Marcello and Philip Marshall, thanks for stopping by. We'll do it again soon. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.